Welcome to Illness with Influence, a brand new series from Have a Cuppa Unmasked, the podcast dedicated to raising awareness of invisible illnesses. This series, I talk to guests who have become champions of their own industries, but all with one thing in common, an invisible illness, showing you it can be done. All is not lost. You can still achieve your dreams. Come on, let's raise inspiration, not stigma. So sit back, grab a cuppa and get ready to be inspired. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Illness with Influence. I'm going to go straight on in today and introduce you to Kirsten. Hi Kirsten, how are you doing? Hi, yeah, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me here. Do you want to introduce yourself to everyone? Yes, of course. So um, my name is Kirsten Jackson. I'm a registered UK dietitian um, specializing in irritable bowel syndrome. So how that kind of came about was I actually have IBS myself, um, which was diagnosed probably not in the normal way um, because I actually have celiac disease. So I thought, you know, that I was like, great, I've got this diagnosis. Um, you know, everything's going to be plain sailing from here on. Um, but no, no, because my gut had been so disrupted for years of eating gluten because I had celiac disease. It, and it just didn't go back to normal. So basically, um, at, at the time, ironically, I was actually already a registered dietitian. Oh, um, wow. So you would yeah exactly well this is the irony because you would think well surely a registered dietitian would know all the science and yeah they had to sort themselves out <laughs> but but actually um I didn't and then I think I just had sort of a rock bottom moment essentially and um, I thought well you know come on like why is this not working for you um and that's when I realized I wasn't doing things in say the right order which I'm sure we can talk about a little bit more in this podcast yeah um and this is how I kind of came up with my it's very cheesy but I call it the take control system um and it's basically just about doing the the right things but in the correct order for your body um mm. and I, I control my IBS I'm not always very strict I have to say I'm naughty at times and do things that <laughs> I shouldn't do we're only um, human <laughs> exactly exactly but through this I've been able to now help you know thousands of people through one-to-one coaching but also yeah. I now run a group program as well so it's it's not a great story obviously for me because I, I have had to suffer from this but yeah. out of it has come you know helping lots of other people so it's fab that's amazing. So I'm so interested because I was convinced that, you know, it was because of your IBS that you then found yourself so interested in the kind of science behind it all and the food and, and, and all of that sort of stuff that you then became a dietitian. So have you always had interest in food and science and that sort of thing? Have you always wanted to be a dietitian? Yeah, it was uh, strange one, I think, in terms of, um, I, I just loved science. I was a mm. real geek. I'm trying to make myself sound more interesting, but it's not coming across. <laughs> well. I, just loved, I genuinely just loved science. Um, I thought, what can I do with these science A-levels? Um, and that was one of the options. Um, yeah. I think I just fell into the, honestly fell into the right career for me. Um, and, you know, I've, even and even though I like science I've never been very overly academic yeah and um, so this was kind of the really good balance I was actually able to be quite practical with it yeah um, and help yeah. people and it was just being you know it wasn't just writing papers or you know yeah. not that you know I'm sure that's fine for other people but I mean I'm dyslexic so so, yeah. so far that's gonna go yeah. um, but it's actually helping people with the science was the bit that really really intrigued me to be honest that's amazing and so you mentioned that actually the IBS kind of came about because of the the celiac disease and stuff so is that something that you have had all your life or is it something that was passed down is it genetic or is it something that just kind of came about the the celiac yeah. disease 
Yeah, so it, it just came about. Um, so it is genetic. We know that, you know, if you've got um, anyone in your family, normally like a direct relative, like brother, mm. sister, mother, father, uh, with an autoimmune condition, which is when your immune system is triggered and attacks the body in some way. And there's various different types of these conditions. If So if you've got someone else in your direct family with this, yeah. then you're much more likely to have one. So now when I look back, like my mum's got an autoimmune condition, my grandma's got one, my great grandmother had celiac disease. So, so it doesn't you know, have to be celiac disease. It's just no. sort of any immune, so autoimmune. So could it be something like arthritis? Um, yeah, lupus, so rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, um, inflammatory bowel disease is yeah. one, um, type 1 diabetes. Um, right, so okay. we, you know, very, very, um, very much connected. So the weird thing is you can have it in your gene, you know, your whole life and actually it's not switched on. Wow. So some, yeah, and this is why genetic testing is not always the most useful thing mm. because you could have it in your genes, not actually have a condition. Yeah. So yeah. I can remember probably having symptoms for around five to six years, I'd say before I got wow. diagnosed. What were those yeah. symptoms? So really similar to IBS, and this is why it's really important, anyone listening to this, if you get these symptoms, please just go to your doctor because yeah. as part of an IBS diagnosis, they will test you for celiac disease, right. which is actually very common. It's one in 100 people have it. Wow. Um, but it's just, I, I had looser stools, but they weren't, this is the thing, they weren't that bad as yeah. in you know I was like oh it's not that bad it's just yeah, stress yeah, yeah. or um, I actually had depression um wow. I was um I had no energy um I was again I wasn't a skinny skinny I wasn't losing weight and needed to be yeah. hospitalized but I definitely couldn't gain weight I think I was about 50 kilograms and eating around three and a half thousand calories a day wow <laughs> so, yeah and I was trying to go to the gym and eat loads of protein just trying to because I, I didn't really like my appearance at the time because it was, wasn't the most yeah. healthy looking let's say um, but so nothing was that bad. And that's the thing with celiac. You can get quite a, a range of symptoms with it. Sometimes, you know, my great grandmother, for instance, she actually ended up in hospital with it. She almost died oh, wow. before she got wow. diagnosed. Exactly. Other people don't even know they've got symptoms. So I'd say, yeah, any kind of digestive problems, please just go to your doctor, get tested mm. um, just to make sure, basically. And so the, the struggling to actually put weight on, because I know that in a lot of my podcasts, um, a very sort of common symptom with um, invisible illnesses is actually a dramatic loss of weight, kind of mm. unexplained weight. So that kind of struggle to actually put weight on and stuff, is that is that due to something within the celiac disease or is that something to do with the IBS? Yeah, so that's a really good question because it's actually nothing to do with IBS, but it's something that does come up quite a lot and I'll explain that in a minute. It is very common in, in celiac disease because when you have undiagnosed celiac disease, you continue to eat gluten. Your mm. body then goes into inflammatory state because it wrongly thinks that gluten's kind of like a bacteria, I guess. Yeah. So your immune system starts reacting and it damages all of your small bowel. So you literally can't absorb very much food or, or nutrients. Mm. Um, and, and that's where you would typically get, or not always, and this is the thing, the symptoms vary. Some people with celiac disease might even be overweight, you know, and have no energy and they struggle to lose weight sometimes. But a lot of the time with celiac disease, people might lose weight because they can't absorb the food. Or um, right. they might struggle to gain weight because they're just, no matter how many calories they eat, they're just not going to be, they're only going to absorb a certain percentage of them. Um, and then when you go gluten-free as part of that, which is how you manage celiac disease, that, that heals itself. And, you know, you go okay. back to sort of normal in terms of being able to eat normal amount of calories that you would think would sustain weight. But... Going back to the IBS, a lot mm. of people will think, oh, IBS causes me to lose weight. And it doesn't at all. What it is, is when you look at someone's diet of IBS, 
a lot of the time they're so scared to eat certain foods yes. and they become so restrictive, especially with all these wrong messages out there. You yes. know, don't eat dairy, don't eat gluten, don't eat sugar. I mean, what can you can, what can you bloody well eat? Yeah. <laughs> you, uh. you, you, and <laughs> exactly, exactly. And you end up with a very low calorie diet and that's why you lose weight. So right. it's not the IBS itself that causes weight loss. It's what you do to your own diet that then reduces your calorie intake and then you lose weight. And do you find that, because um, I know that you work particularly closely with a lot of um, patients that have got IBS and, and that sort of um, condition, do you find that, that stress and, and mental health is actually affected when they get diagnosed just simply from, you know, that stress of going, oh my gosh, what can I eat? I want to enjoy my food. I want to be able to go out. I mean, obviously pre and post COVID times, but I want to go out to a restaurant with my friends. What can I eat? That sort of thing. Do you find it affects their mental health as well? Oh, massively. Absolutely. And there's research to prove this as well. So, I mean, I've been working with IBS clients now for 10 years. Um, so I've got a lot of experience in this area. Mm. But even outside of that, there's multiple you know, research studies showing the link between depression, anxiety and IBS. And what, what we find is typically people who go to doctor they think you know I'm going to get a diagnosis I re and they want to have a diagnosis of some yeah. sorts you know a condition they can then treat fantastic mm. they then get diagnosed with IBS and it's like well what do I do now and it's not there's no medication they can take or something to cure this it's, it's just about um you know managing a lot of people get left on their own and you know it affects everything you know from what you can wear during the day because you just don't know when you're going to get bloated to, you know, what foods you eat. And you might even think, okay, I've nailed it. I've, you know, garlic's my issue. I'm going to avoid that. You go out, avoid garlic, and actually you still get symptoms. So, yeah. you know, this kind of uncertainty causes a lot of anxiety. And then ironically, that, that sort of anxiety and depression will then actually lead to worse gut health. Um, oh, wow. So it's this big cycle. So yeah. it's all kind of connected. Exactly, yeah. And it's a cycle, and it's about trying to break that cycle and help that person move forward. And one thing that I'm really interested in is how individual um, is every kind of IBS um, patient and, and IBS case? Is it a, a thing of, you know, um, you can kind of, as a dietitian, you know what's best for people with IBS. So you can kind of say, nope, you don't want to take this. You don't want to eat this. You want to try and get this into your diet, blah, blah, blah. Or is it a very sort of individual case? And that's where it really you know, it really benefits to have someone like yourself to have that one-to-one -one coaching to really work through the food and work through what's best for you and your body and your gut. Yeah, so it is very individual. I mean, there mm. is a way um, to do it and I'll explain this because I do have a group program and I'll explain how that works because yeah. that's obviously not individual, that's a group element. Um, but yeah, I get messaged every day on Instagram by people saying, tell me what to eat, tell me what to take and then to secure my IBS. And I'm yeah. literally thinking, I'd, I don't know, you know. Yeah. And the reason is because for you personally, I'd need to know about your stress levels, um, right. your mental health, your sleeping patterns, what your diet's like, um, if you what type of type of IBS you've got, because there's multiple different types. Oh, wow. So okay. there's all exactly and th there's all all these different elements and while we can say yes stress is an element for everybody we need to tackle that mm. how we tackle that is going to look different to, for different people so it's very very individualized having said that um there's certain elements we do know um 
do no um impact everybody but it's, yeah. it's sort of teaching the person about how they impact them so for example on the program element what we do is look at uh, say you know explaining how stress impacts the gut and then giving that person um ways of how they can manage stress in their life and there might be different ways that they can do that and they themselves will know what's best for them um and then looking at, for instance, the low FODMAP diet, which pinpoints yeah. which foods are triggers. That's a diet process, which which helps that person then understand which foods are the problem. But without doing that process, they're not going to know. They need to do the process of elimination and then reintroducing foods back in, in a very kind of structured way to find out what's causing the issue. And so is it very much sort of... Um you're guiding you're guiding and mentoring your client or clients um in the group case to not only to to learn and engage with it and really engage with it themselves and get to know their gut get to know their body get to know their foods get to know what food gives them what type of energy and at what time and that sort of stuff so really becoming very engaged and involved so that they can then take that on themselves and they can progress is that very much sort of your your method yeah absolutely that's my goal with all my clients because I always say to people while I can help you you know really manage this 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 um condition absolutely it's not going away it's a chronic health condition so mm. you know five years from now 10 years from now unfortunately with IBS once you have it you always have it so yeah you know I'm you know I'm not out to be like oh um selling them some random supplement that they yeah, now need yeah, to yeah. buy into <laughs> for the next 20 years yeah. it's about giving them the knowledge to understand their own condition their own body so that you know if they have a flare-up in the future or something happens they know exactly how to manage that and mm. this is this is how we manage chronic conditions once if we've got the knowledge knowledge is power um, and absolutely people feel a lot better than you know when they're when they're in control of things yeah and so in terms of the stress level of it as well what are kind of your um because I know that stress is a huge factor in this day and age and it's a it's a key problem for not just IBS but any kind of chronic illness you know no matter who I interview everyone's always said oh stress was a big trigger or is a big trigger or stress kind of sped it up and things like that so what are your kind of biggest tips for um you know for to to not necessarily eliminate stress because trying to tell someone to just eliminate stress makes this <laughs> makes the situation very stressful and it can almost cause stress um but what's the way for someone who's maybe feeling really quite stressed out and doesn't even know how to tackle it or begin to tackle it and they're feeling very sort of overwhelmed with it what sort of stepping stones would you advise well, I think it's interesting the way you've um, approached that question in that I would actually um, counter argue there's a lot of people out there that not just that they actually don't feel stressed, but they, oh, there's a lot of people out there that do feel stressed. That's not what I'm mm. trying to get out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I'm trying to get out. There's a lot of people out there that are running at a really high stress level and they don't even realize it. Yeah. Because it's, it's become their norm. Exactly. Yeah. And, they, and, you know, some people actually thrive off it or they think that they thrive off it. But actually, mm. your body's still going under this inflammatory process. You're still going into what we call a fight or flight where you're releasing this adrenaline, your heart rate's going up. And yeah, that's fine now and again. We need some excitement in our life. But if that's chronic, that's going to lead to these chronic illnesses. So I'd say the number one thing is because a lot of us have lost um, kind of touch of what's normal is mm. I'd probably reach out to people who are close to you, whether that's a partner, a friend, a colleague, um, a, a housemate. Um, to ask them if they can give you feedback on how stressed they think you are because okay, sometimes yeah. you know you just don't know and it, it gives you a baseline to, to sort of work off 
And then in terms of ways to ways to really um, improve this, I find with my clients is meditation can really help. Yeah. And as soon as I say this to clients, some people, they especially high functioning people that will be shutting down the minute I say you yeah. need to sit down in silence. That and stresses I'm one, you out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like I am one of those people. I'm super skeptical. Same. I'm not exactly. I'm not into this kind of, th- I say this kind of thing just to kind of, I guess, p- get people on board with actually trialing it because I'm not, I wouldn't have been typically someone that tries this kind of thing, mm. but actually we now know it's got research behind it. And what I say to people is when you sit down, it's only 10 minutes. If you can't give yeah. yourself your health 10 minutes a day, you mm. really need to think about what, what you're trying to achieve in life here. It's, it's just 10 minutes. And what you'll find is when you first sit down, you will be thinking of everything you need to do. Your brain will continue to wander off. And that's very normal because you're not used to thinking in this way. And it's exactly like the first time you went to the gym and you lifted off a weight and it's heavy, it's awkward. You don't really know what you're doing. And that's going to take a while to kind of pro- progress. Um, so stick with it. And I always kind of negotiate with my clients and say, do 10 minutes a day, do it in the morning or midday or after work. So not before bedtime because it's not a right. sleeping aid. It's, it's to relax during the day and use yeah. an app like Headspace or Calm and do it for 10 days. And if you hate it at the end of 10 days, then that's fine. You've tried yeah. it. But yeah. at least do it consistently for that time to get the benefit. Yeah. So meditation is good. Exercise is good. And again, I... I'd like to kind of reword that and say do movement rather than exercise. Yes. So get out, yeah. get outside. You know, fifteen minutes out, fifteen minutes back, half an hour. Even if it's raining, it shouldn't come as a surprise if you live in the UK. It rains a lot of the time in the year. <laughs> just, just put put the waterproofs on. Get outside. Um, and it's just about getting some time for yourself and um, yeah. getting away from the computer and things like this. Um, and then the other one is probably looking at your sleeping patterns because again, nobody really talks about sleeping. Um, and actually um, your stress levels and mood and things like this can be really impacted by poor quality or quantity of sleep. And would you say that with sleep, it's really important to um, almost have a routine in a sense and, and try and get to bed at the same time every day and get up every day? Is that kind of more important than the number of hours that you sleep or is it the number of hours that's more important? I don't think there's one or the other. It has to be the both really. Um, yeah. But definitely um so well, we have a circadian rhythm which is your sleeping pattern if you're expecting your body to be able to like one day go to bed at 1 a.m the next day go to 10 p.m then in the, at the weekend you're just going to have a nap all afternoon it's going to be all over the place and you're yeah. not going to get you know that regular um pattern that you need and the good quality so try to you know get a, a bedtime that's realistic for you yeah. Um, whatever that is and around eight hours sleep you know some people need a little bit less some people need a little bit more yeah um, and they're looking at what you're doing in that hour before bed as well and obviously okay. things like caffeine alcohol don't help yes yeah and I find that really interesting um about the whole kind of the sleep thing because for someone like myself I've got lupus I've got lots of other chronic health conditions um currently being diagnosed with IBS and I find that I've got chronic fatigue. Now, for someone who's got chronic fatigue, I, I'm sure there's lots of listeners that can relate to this. I just feel tired all the time and it really doesn't make a difference to my energy levels or, or my tiredness sort of fatigue levels, whether I've slept five hours, 10 hours, eight hours. Um, so what kind of, is there something that I can be doing in terms of food or movement throughout the day that might help people like myself with with that chronic fatigue element 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, a lot of people feel like this. And a lot of my clients will say, you know what, sometimes I'll sleep 10 hours and I Mm. still don't feel any better. Um, So sleep is a balance. You obviously don't want to sleep too much. So, and this can be difficult, especially if you're starting in a place of already feeling chronically fatigued. Um, The last thing you're going to want to do is cut your sleep down. But actually, if you're sleeping, you know, 10, 11 hours, then that's going to impact the quality of your sleep. So I wouldn't, you know, really try to keep it to nine maximum, try to keep for the regular time. And then um, looking at what you're doing in the hour before bed, because if you're waking up every day and you've had a good eight hours sleep, but you're really tired, you know, obviously the sleep quality is not very good. So, Mm. you know, are you on your phone? Is there bright lights? Um, Even the temperature of your room. I know during the winter time, a lot of people will do things like keep the heating on overnight. And actually that's not going to optimize your sleep. Um, Mm. Is there lots of things on your mind? You know, when you go to sleep and you say, yes, I'm going to bed at 10 every night, are you laying there, you know, with your eyes closed, but you're awake for an hour and a half yes. thinking about yeah, things? Yeah. So th- that, that's an element optimizing sleep. And then through the day, what are you doing energy-wise? So things like using stimulants like caffeine um, and nicotine, and they might mm. give you a boost, um, mm. especially in that in that kind of habit. Um, but actually, it's just it's just a stimulant. So eventually, you're going to end up more tired. So trying to wean yourself off slowly off these things, um, and then getting outside definitely yeah. some um, fresh air. Even as I said, if it's raining, just get outside. Um, also, um, I know, and this is not my speciality area, so I'm not going to go into it as a dietitian. <laughs> but I, I've heard from other colleagues who are specialists in this area things like you know a lot of us especially in lockdown we are spending a lot of time on the screen you know yes thinking about like your eye health if you haven't been okay, yeah. for an optician's appointment little silly little things like this mm. actually might make you feel very fatigued yeah, food wise though getting back to my actual speciality yeah. <laughs> my actual area is really we're looking for you know balanced meals so three balanced meals a day to give you good energy um, mm. avoiding anything like sugar so this hidden sugar even in things like fruit juices aren't particularly good mm. um any kind of snacks like often people could snack on cereal bars which have a lot of dried fruit in them and that can wow, give you yeah. a lot of sugar so you know you get a kind of a blast of energy but then it drops quite quickly afterwards um avoiding huge portions of carbohydrates and don't cut them out because they're very good for energy but i mean just larger portions can make you feel very tired you know in that what yeah. we call post-perandial phase you know an hour and a half later where you're just feeling this real slump and um, whereas if you just cut down a little bit on them or stick within a healthy portion size that would help as well amazing oh well that is that's <laughs> I'm definitely taking in all those tips straight away and um, being very mindful about what I do before bed and things as well and trying to stick to the same time because I know it's very difficult in lockdown to stick to the same time we just kind of sit there don't we but um and I know you mentioned uh, that there are different types of IBS and I didn't actually know this. So um, what 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 do you mean by sort of different types? Is it is it kind of a broad spectrum or? Yes, there's four different types. So there's, and this might sound obvious now when I say it, but there's um, IBSD, so it's diarrhea types. So it's more diarrhea predominant. You've got constipation, okay. which is more constipation predominant. Yeah. You've got mixed types that so typically yo-yos between the two. Mm-hmm. And then you've got unspecified, which it basically just doesn't seem to fit any pattern ever. Um, and this is very useful. Um, and it's something that I teach all my clients to start before I, I assess it for them because it changes how we then... Um, look at their IBS and how we treat it because if you try to treat every type the same it's just not going to work yeah yeah but with all of them do you get that bloating um because I know that a lot of people get that sort of really swollen feeling don't they with IBS is that kind of a typical symptom 
Yeah, so with IBS, you'd be looking at the um, bloating or distension or um, being uncomfortable um, and then a change in either bowel frequency or Mm. consistency. And so with that bloating, um, because I've noticed with myself, for example, I've been getting quite bad sort of stomach bloating tends to be sort of lower stomach bloating and that sort of nausea feeling constantly, never actually being able to be to be sick but but that just constant nausea and is that um is that something that can be can be treated with um the different types of food and and maybe even drink that that we consume is that anything that kind of helps that yeah so nausea isn't actually a symptom of ibs nausea Mm. would be a symptom of other health other um, digestive problems Um, but in terms of if there's any food we can treat IBS with, um, not specific foods, it would be a case of um, it's more of a whole diet approach. So you'd be looking yeah. at what I, th- how I try to explain it to clients is we need to find out what the triggers are for sure. Um, mm. And we can do that using something called the, the low FODMAP process. But we also need to do the underlying, you know, the gut bacteria is not going to be as balanced as somebody in the healthy in who's got healthy gut. Um, the diet typically isn't as varied as somebody else who can eat whatever they want and have no symptoms. Mm. Um, and looking at the other elements that I've already mentioned, like the sleep, the movement and all the rest of yeah. it. So in terms of nutrition, there isn't one food I can say, oh, eat this one food. It's yeah, yeah. really good for your <laughs> IBS. There is um, on the market, you can get these fermented foods. I don't know if that's perhaps what you're thinking about, like kombucha, kefir, mm. where they've got, yes, they have good gut bacteria in them. But the problem is they're not necessarily a probiotic because when you eat them or drink them, they're going into your stomach, which is literally a ball of acid designed to Mm. kill bacteria. So whether it actually gets anywhere it needs to, to be able to actually help you, it is questionable. There's no real research for IBS at the minute. So I would, yeah, save your your money. I mean, you can by all means take them. They're probably not going to do any harm. But really, probiotics, we need to be thinking about the supplement type that have got proven research behind them if we're thinking about that. And the the kind of final thing that I'm really interested in as well is is I know that you obviously you've got personal experience with IBS. You're a dietitian anyway, and then and then you were diagnosed with IBS. Did that kind of affect your journey with it? Because, you know, like you mentioned right back at the beginning, everyone would probably think, oh, you could you you already knew a lot about this sort of stuff and you probably knew the foods you needed to eat and stuff. Did it affect your your journey? And as a result, has it affected the way that you're able to kind of uh, understand and relate to your to your clients? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I, there's a huge difference between what the textbook says and what is mm. in life, definitely. Yes. And I think I would say as dietitians as a whole, to be honest, what we how we work I'd say 20% of what we need to know is all about you know the research and the science and relaying that research in a way Mm. that people understand it that's our job but I'd say that 80% of it is actual practicality you know how do you put this into practice I mean a simpler example would be look at celiac disease if if it was that easy we wouldn't need dietitians at all for that you just say we'll just avoid gluten off you go yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. not quite that simple. It's it's very complicated, and there's it's a practicality around it and putting all these things into place. And what I've found is when you give somebody all the information, is they're very overwhelmed, yes. and they don't really know what to start first. And they try to do everything, they end up doing nothing, yeah. and they don't they don't do things correctly. They make yeah. mistakes. Whereas actually, when you look at them, you kind of break their own situation down into a little bit more mm. simpler terms. 
and then kind of prioritize what they need to do first and in what way it gives that person very easy step-by-step things to follow it becomes a lot more manageable yeah um, but yeah definitely it's much more different having the condition yourself so it's sort of um breaking it down into to bite-sized chunks if you excuse the pun um breaking yeah. it down into bite-sized chunks so that they can really just actually face it and tackle it mentally as well as physically yeah absolutely it is definitely you know so I have to keep going on about this like most most of my clients they come to me and they that you know that they're not st- my clients are not stupid people they're no, and they're, yeah. they're not not motivated you know if you've yeah. got diarrhea and you can't control it you're very yeah, motivated to change it. <laughs> yeah. exactly and unfortunately you know when, by the time they come to me you know they've read everything on google they've read yeah. and tried to read research themselves they've spent normally a lot of money on pills and potions and everything yeah. Um, and they're still not managed to get to the bottom of this. So it's just about making it really practical for them and taking that stress away. And I presume as well that, you know, with other chronic health conditions, that's a completely different kettle of fish and it's a completely different uh, nutrition and process than it is for just IBS. Or is it quite similar? Oh, completely different. I was mm. actually joking about this to a colleague of mine who's a pediatric dietitian. And she said, oh, I keep getting inquiries about diabetes. Um, I've sent them your way because I have no idea what I'm doing with them. And I was like, oh, don't send them to me. You know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, So because I've been working in gastroenterology for 10 years, I, you know, and this is the thing. As dietitians, we all qualify. We've got a degree. It's a four-year yeah. degree in dietetics. And yes, we cover heart disease, diabetes, IBS, all the things you can think about mm. but on a really basic level. And then we go and specialize in these different areas because yeah. – there's so much more to them and, and they're treated in a completely different way. You know, if I was to give someone who's um, like a typical diabetic diet and, a, and an IBS diet that, you know, that that IBS person is going to probably have huge flare ups. It's, it's yeah. just different. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's obviously um, similarities in what's yeah. considered general healthy eating. Yeah. Um, but that's probably about as far as it goes. I love that. And I am just so fascinated just finally as to, how you have been able to kind of grow and and um, help so many hundreds of thousands of people and, and you've got thousands of followers um, on your Instagram and everything. And how how have you managed to kind of just grow and, and, and get your word out there and, and get your knowledge out there? I don't know it feels like a long term <laughs> I think I think do you know what um I feel like social media can be a negative place at the time yeah but I think there's a lot of positivity in it and I feel like when I started this journey in irritable bowel syndrome it wasn't really talked about and mm. now people are realizing actually you know one in ten people have this condition yeah. so you know if you think about how many friends or colleagues or even family you have yeah. there'll be somebody there that has the same thing yeah, yeah, yeah. um so people are just more open to it now and what they share and things like this. But um, yeah, it's, it's been it's been it's been quite a journey because it's still quite a taboo subject. And I have to say as well, um, I think people are, which is nice to see the public are getting fed up with all these fads that they're seeing or celebrities yeah, um, trying that. to promote absolute garbage. Yeah. So you know they they're <laughs> trusting actually registered healthcare professionals. Yeah. Um, and I think it's to be honest, only professional now that we use our qualifications to get on. Um, sources like instagram yeah. like the internet and you know and help people. teach people yeah exactly and help yeah. people because it is 2021 now and no one's going to go and like go and necessarily buy a book to read you know yeah, exactly. things like this yeah they want sad. that instant information <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah exactly they want that instant information so it's kind of our job really to give it to people 
That's amazing. And in terms of what you offer, you offer one-to-one coaching and the group coaching. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I do one-to-one coaching, which is called just really... I've got lots of cheesy names in my business. Like <laughs> VIP package. I love it. Um, so it's over, it's, over, it's over three months that you get three one-hour consultations and then weekly email reviews just because you need that intense support. You know, yeah. your, your IBS is not going to change overnight. And no. this is why I wouldn't recommend if you're re- listening to this and you want to see a dietitian, do not book in for one consultation. You're not going to get yeah. what you need. You, you need several. Um, and then I have the group program, which is where people can sign up they there's not really a huge financial commitment because I know a lot of people out there have wasted so much already so I mm. want to just help people but it it's a monthly role and so sign up a bit like Netflix account I but they that. get access yeah it's just a bit more accessible isn't it rather a than healthy like, Netflix <laughs> yeah it's exactly a lot healthier than Netflix <laughs> <laughs> Um, but no they get it's like a membership so they get access to the step-by-step tutorials which are all done by me downloads and then every week we come together as a group and just do kind of like any questions or just making sure everyone's okay um and then also we do like weekly goals and things like that because Mm. as I keep saying it's a long journey and you can a few weeks in think oh everything's better now I'm just gonna go off and do what I want and actually it's It's that community as well isn't there there's that support exactly it's definitely a community of where too much information does not exist amazing and just one final thing um before i i um, ask you to tell us how everyone can follow you and get in touch with you and book in those one-to-one consultations and all of this um what what would you say about sort of um because the whole meaning behind this podcast is to really beat the stigma of invisible illness do you feel like we're slowly starting to progress in that especially with IBS and things or do you feel like there's still a label there's still a stigma and we've still got a long way to go I think we're progressing a little bit but I still think we have a long long way to go so it's I mean and it's hard isn't it because you don't even the figures we not it says one in ten but the study's showing one in five one in seven people have Mm. IBS I'd say it's much higher than that and I have to say one of the most interesting um, figures is looking around men because mm. actually when we look at most women, most of the people who have IBS in the research are women, but actually men are something like, I can't remember the exact figures, but it's something like 20 or 30% less likely to go to their doctor. So I think actually in men specifically, it's probably more of a stigma um, yeah. because they just don't even go to the doctor to even have the diagnosis. So yeah. it's a long way to go, but I would say to anyone out there, if and when you get the confidence to share it with people because you'd be surprised and I bet you anything that person you share it with is going to turn around and say oh me too you know I've got yeah. I've got those this condition and you know I just didn't want to tell anyone about it exactly it's so common exactly and there is obviously um have a cup of unmasked the podcast has got a safe community space as well which is free for you to come along and join if you want to be surrounded by other people who might not necessarily have ibs but do understand they have invisible illnesses of their own whether that's a chronic health condition all the way through to a mental health condition so finally because i'm sure everyone is dying to know how can we get in touch with you how can we follow you Oh, bless you. Um, so either Instagram, which is at the dot IBS dietitian, um, and you can feel free to message me or comment on posts or whatever is comfortable, or um, my website, which is thefoodtreatmentclinic.com. Amazing. And don't worry, listeners, I will put all of that in the description as well so you can get the direct links and head straight over. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been fascinating and I could talk for hours and hours about this. I'm sure there's lots and lots of questions that the listeners have. Um, So do, if you are listening and you've got a question, 
do jump on Instagram and just um, drop a message. And yeah, listen back to the podcast, share it with your friends and family. Let's get the message out there. Thank you so much for coming on. No, thank you so much for um, letting me kind of do my ramble of IBS. And I hope, you know, <laughs> no I really do hope that people listening have got some benefit out of today. Thank you for listening to another episode of Illness with Influence. If you love this episode, then why not share it with your friends and family, tagging myself at helena.m.mitchell so I can personally say thank you. And don't forget to check out our other episodes in this series or hop onto our private Facebook community group, Have a Cuppa Unmasked, for continued support from a community of like-minded people. But until next time, stay safe, stay strong, and remember... You are not alone.